0: Good morning. Good, morning. Good morning. I remember a time long, long ago where people would sign up to do a security so they could go hang out in the parking lot to skip a sermon. Now people go to the parking lot to listen to a sermon. Uh, some come to church and some stay in their living rooms. Uh, what, a, what a world that we live in. It's an unusual season, a unusual time. Alton's words during communion about how there's so much anxiety and stress going on in the world that we live in, I think are, uh, are very accurate and timely for this time. Uh, but for the last month, we've been looking at uh, a different time, a different season. Uh, we have been looking at uh, Deuteronomy and Moses' three sermons that are described in the book of Deuteronomy, a time when God was Israel's king where he was the deliverer who brought them out of Pharaoh's cruel reign and into his good rule, where he guided them uh, to Mount Sinai, where he gave them laws and commandments, where God was the one that they turned to. He was their God and they were his people. It it was a, a time of people really looking to God, as the one who was over their government, over their faith, over their safety. He provided for them security. He provided for them a way to live and order and so many things. God was king. And at the end of his, uh, his time as leader over, uh, over Israel during this time, Moses comes together and he knows that he's not going to be going with Israel into the promised land. And he knows that he will not be the one to lead them across the Jordan River into this land flowing with milk and honey. And so he gives them these three sermons and he preaches to them the things that they need to know and must remember as they go forward into that place and into a new season with new leadership, and God watching over them as they go. And Moses gives them these sermons, and what he does in these sermons is make sure that they know the most important stuff by repeating himself over and over and over and over again. The most important phrases are repeated over 100 times in the book of Deuteronomy to make sure that the people understand them. And we've been looking at these sermons and studying and thinking about what it means for us in our world today today, a world where we are often anxious and often stressed and and feel like we don't know who's in control we need to be reminded that god is still king god is still in charge and if you think that you're in charge this year has come to remind you that you're not your plans have largely probably gone out the window or been done in ways that are surprising to you based on what you probably anticipated at the beginning of this year, and if you think that anyone else is in charge, anyone else is in control, you are mistaken. God is king and nobody else is, and the sooner you get that figured out, the better your life's going to be. And Moses teaches that if you realize that God is king, you're going to need to orient your life around that, and you do that by staying close to God through both obedience and relationship, not one or the other, but both. God is the one who gives us the rules that we are to follow, the commands which we are best to order our life around. But He is also the God who loves us and delivers us. And it's that story of deliverance that is the anchor of God's commands. The commands that God gives us are always anchored in the story of deliverance. For Israel, it was deliverance from Pharaoh and Egypt. For us, it's deliverance from sin and death, the deliverance that came from Jesus Christ crucified and resurrected. That's our story. And out of that story comes our desire for obedience and relationship with God. But not just with God, because when God is king, we show our love and loyalty upward to God, but we also show it outward to others. And that leads to Jesus' understanding of the law, that, that if you understand the law, it's not just about keeping God's name holy and sacred. It's not only about... Uh, making sure that you don't drag God's name through the mud and treating it as if it is meaningless and trash and ordinary. That if you're going to honor and love the father, you have to honor and love the children. You cannot trash the pottery without insulting the potter. And so Jesus begins to understand that the law is not just about loving God, it's also about loving others. And that it's not just about rote obedience, it's about transformation of the heart. And the kingdom starts to become this, this vision that God has for people living in the world in a way that will draw people to see his, his children living so differently that they'll be drawn to understand who God is and what he's done. And that call exists for us today. And Moses preaches these sermons and he repeats himself over and over again in hopes that the people will learn from the past and learn the message that he's giving them in the present so that they might live forward his legacy of leadership into the future of having faith that God is king and that God is good and that God is going to deliver in all of his good promises. What a thing is a leader like Moses to be at the end of your life wondering if your legacy will push the people forward to a better future than they had in the past when you first came to know them. And I want to look at three stories today, three stories from Moses' time leading, uh, leading Israel, and the third one actually comes after his leadership, and to evaluate Moses' leadership because the way you evaluate a leader is do the people follow and go where he's, they're the leader is calling them to go. And so we're going to look at what Israel learns along the way in their time with Moses. And it starts with uh, the Red Sea. In Exodus chapter 13, this is right after the people have seen uh, God's power in the 10 plagues. And we know that God has sent those upon Egypt because he's heard the cries of his children, Israel in Egypt, crying out, God, please deliver us from Pharaoh, deliver us from slavery, deliver us from oppression. And they cried out, and they cried out, and God heard them, and he sent to them a deliverer. And he sent that deliverer, Moses, with a message not just for Israel, but a message for the whole world to hear. That God is God and no false gods of Egypt or any other nation is anything compared to Yahweh, the Lord God. And the plagues demonstrate that power and Pharaoh decides that he has no choice but to let Israel go and he releases them and they go with the blessings and wealth of Egypt as their neighbors give them wealth and give them resources and they have everything they need for the journey and you have to think how overwhelming it would be if you're Israel to see God's power and his salvation and his deliverance as you're marching with your entire nation out of Egypt. In Exodus 13 and verse 17, it says this When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through Philistine country, though that was shorter. For God said, If they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by the desert road toward the Red Sea. The Israelites went out of Egypt ready for battle. They're armed. For battle. They've got their weaponry ready. They have the stuff for war. But God knows their hearts. God knows their their the extent of their faith in him at this point. And what God knows is if they go through the shorter road through Philistine country, that a Philistine army is gonna come up and say, We don't want you in our land, and they're gonna say, We're too afraid to fight. We don't know what we're doing, we were slaves yesterday, we're not ready to be soldiers today, and they would run right back to Egypt that they would forsake God on day one and day two, and day the first week of their freedom and their allegiance to God as king, they would give him up and go fleeing back to Pharaoh. God needs them to see his power and might and strength and learn to trust him through both obedience and relationship. And so God backs them up against the wall. And this is the first story we're looking at today that, that has this idea of being backed up against the wall because it, really in life, there's so many occasions that we learn whether we've really got faith or not, not on the good days, but on the tough days. The days where you had a plan and your plan leads you into a dead end with no way out. The days when, when you look around and say, I don't know how I got here. I don't know how I'm going to get out. This isn't the life that I wanted. I don't like the circumstances I'm in. God, get me out of this moment. In those tough days, do you really have faith in God? Do you have no faith at all, or do you have faith in something else? Those are the questions that tough days require us to ask. God knows, Israel, at this point, that if they have a tough day, they do not have faith to survive it. They will retreat. They will run away. This thing will be over before it even gets started. And so he backs them up against the Red Sea. And then he brings Pharaoh's army charging out in front of them. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them and said, What have we done? We've let the Israelites go and have lost their services. So he had his chariot made ready and he took his army with him. He took 600 of the best chariots, along with all the other chariots of Egypt, with officers over all of them. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, so that he pursued the Israelites who were marching out boldly. The Egyptians, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, horsemen and troops, pursued the Israelites and overtook them as they camped by the sea near Pi-Hahiroth, opposite baal Zephon. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Israel cries out when they see Pharaoh and his army and the chariots approaching. 600 of the best and then all the others as well. It's a massive army. Israel has no chance against this army if it is only Israel versus Pharaoh. Moses does not have the military might as he leads the people out that Pharaoh is bringing up behind them. And not only that, but now they are cornered against the Red Sea. There is no escape, which God has done on purpose, because it's the only way he can keep them from cowardly retreating. He pins them in, and then he tells Moses, Moses, give them these instructions. Be strong. Don't be afraid. Just this, the commands here are, are incredible. It's not fight as hard as you can. It's not stand firm, and you'll be given the victory if you uh, are, are uh, courageous enough to go to battle. It's just don't retreat, and God will take care of the rest. Just don't run away. Stand still, and God will take care of the rest. And this message is so important for them and it's important for us today that when our backs are against the wall and we don't know what we can do and we're just wrestling all the time about our inability to deal with our problems, we're focusing on the wrong person's strength. Because it is God's strength. All you have to do is be still and not run away and trust that God's going to be good on his promises. Water's part Israel crosses the Red Sea on dry ground and God blocks the way so that Pharaoh and the chariots cannot follow them until everyone has passed safely. And then Pharaoh and his army charge in and the waters crash down and they never saw one of those Egyptians ever again. God keeps good on his good word and his good promises. And sometimes when things are tough, we just have to have enough faith to not run away. Surely these people have learned that God will take care of them in the face of difficult odds and tough days. Except that all too often we forget what God has done for us in the past, even in the midst of great uh, challenges that he's brought us through and difficult times that he's got us through. We forget all the things God's done in the past, and all we see is the challenges ahead of us in this moment. And so here as Israel first comes to the banks of the Jordan River under Moses' leadership and they're preparing to go into this promised land, they send 12 spies in to see what the land holds. What kind of foods are there? What kind of wealth is there? What kind of people dwell in this land that God has promised to us and our ancestors that is for us to have and to take and to possess as our inheritance from our good God? And the report comes back to Moses and Aaron in Numbers chapter 13 and verse 26. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land which you sent us and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev, the Hittites, Jebusites, and the Amorites live in the hill country. The Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. But then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there, the descendants of Anak came from the Nephilim, and we seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. That night all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, We should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? As soon as their back is against the wall and there's a big group of people in front of them in the land that God has promised to them, what they see is what's against them and not who is for them. They begin to immediately grumble again and say, why did you bring us up out of slavery? And I love the line uh, in the previous passage where they say, didn't we tell you back when we were in Egypt, leave us alone. We want to stay here with Pharaoh. They didn't say that, by the way. Nostalgia is a beautiful, beautiful thing. Remember the good old days back when we were in Egypt? What? Are you out of your mind? The good old days when you were slaves to a cruel and oppressive king over Egypt? That's what you want, instead of faith and, and confidence in a God who promises that He's going to deliver you from whatever challenges are ahead of you. But they look at the challenge, always sees the challenges in front of us, the things that are hard, the things that are tough, the things that, that make us suffer and, and, and that we have to endure. And, and we look at our ability and we look at the challenges that are in front of us, and we come to the conclusion, I'm just a grasshopper. And the people that are opposed to me look at me, and they think I'm an obnoxious little grasshopper too. And if I'm just a grasshopper, and these are the challenges, what am I going to do? How could I possibly uh, persevere in the face of these kinds of odds? This is too much. It's too hard. I'm just going to go back to the old ways of being miserable without God instead of having confidence that he's going to get me through this. That generation didn't learn the lesson of the plagues. They didn't learn the lesson at the Red Sea. They haven't learned the lesson of the manna and the quail that God will provide when you don't have any way through this. They haven't learned all along the way that they have to trust God. And so when the giants are in front of them in Canaan, and they don't have enough faith to trust that if they just stand still, God will do everything that needs to be done. So that generation dies in the wilderness while another generation is raised up, learning the lessons of the plagues, learning the lessons uh, of the Red Sea, learning the lessons of the manna and the quail that God provides when it feels like there is no way through. And so as Moses gives them these sermons, he reminds them of all of these stories. He tells them uh, about how God is king. And if they're going to have God as king, they're going to have to be a different kind of people. And it all begins with trusting that God will take care of you no matter what difficulties are ahead of you. It doesn't matter. So in Joshua chapter 6, they've got new leadership. This is the moment that Moses was preaching towards. This is the moment where we're going to find out the first time their back is against the wall. And in fact, this time the wall is in front of them. If they're going to have faith that God will provide for them and will do all that is necessary. Now, the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites No one went out and no one came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout, then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up, everyone straight in. There's a number of really bizarre military strategies in the Old Testament. This makes the top five. Uh, It actually doesn't normally make sense to silently parade around a city doing nothing but blowing trumpets of horns, uh, periodically every day for a week and then seven days on the last day. Uh, 13 laps total. Uh, Normally, that does not help you to win a battle. Silent parades are not part of any military strategy book that's ever been written. But this is the command that God gives to the people because he wants them to know what he tried to teach them at the Red Sea and what they forgot when they listened to the report of the 10 spies who gave them bad news. He needs them to know, I will deliver you when your back's against the wall. You don't have to rely on your own ability. So wake up this morning, put on your armor, get your weapons, stay out of, of sling distance from the wall so that they can't attack you while you're marching and you just walk around. And so the the citizens of Jericho also have to get up and get armed for battle because they don't know what's going on out there as the people silently walk around the city. And you're ready and expecting that at the end of the first lap, that maybe that's when they're going to attack. And they just go back to camp. The next day, they come out again, and they march around the city silently, and everyone it has the tension of anticipation of a battle that's about to happen. And at the end of the second day, everyone goes back to camp. And for six days, this happens. And God is telling Israel over and over again, do not rely on your skill with your weapons. Do not rely on your numbers as you wage war against this city. Do not worry about the fortified walls that are in front of you or the army that waits on the other side of them. I will deliver you with my strength. Yours doesn't matter. You may be grasshoppers in your own minds and in their own eyes, but it doesn't matter because I'm on your side. And if I'm on your side, even grasshoppers can yell loud enough to knock the walls of a city down. On the seventh day, they marched seven times. You have to imagine uh, that at this point on the seventh day, that as they finished the first lap, that everyone on the walls in the city of Jericho probably went... All right, they're headed back to camp. Everyone put your stuff down and let's, I guess, go back to work. And then someone goes, wait, 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 wait. They're going another lap. And then another and another. And then they start yelling and the walls crash down. And the message is delivered to Israel and everybody else that if you will be obedient to the God who fights for you, then what are you worried about? What, what could possibly stand against you if this God is for you? Because he is in control. He is king. Nobody else is. And if he's with you, nothing else matters. So just trust that his strength matters more than your abilities. And this goes both ways. When we have great success, we need to make sure that we give God glory and not ourselves glory. And when we're in times of great anxiety and difficulty, we need to trust that it's God's power that's going to deliver us, not our own, that leaves us feeling like little insects in the presence of great difficulty. So here we are in a year like Alton described earlier, a year filled with anxiety and difficulty of tough times. This year is it's a gross year. It's not fun. It's not fun. And in this world, we need to be aware that challenges are real for many people. This is not to say that challenges aren't real and they don't matter and that difficult times won't come or that you won't suffer. All of that will happen, is happening, has happened, and is always part of the life of faith is that tough times come. And if you've got little faith, God might just back you into a corner and ask you to just stand still while you watch him deliver you so your faith can grow. And there's going to be times that you depend on yourself with fear and forget that God's the one that's going to deliver you. And in those moments, you've got a choice. Do you listen to the ten spies that don't have faith in God and that only are aware of the challenges and difficulties ahead of them and around them? Because if that's what you choose to do, You're going to die in the wilderness. But if you march around the city, whatever the walls are that are around you, whatever the challenges are before you, if you do the 13 laps of of just bizarre obedience to God, trusting that he'll deliver you based on his strength and not your reliance on yours, then God's going to take you to the promised land. The land flowing with milk and honey. The land where no challenge is too great for him to deliver you and to give you everything you've ever hoped for. Whatever your challenges are this year, God's bigger than they are. Whatever your difficulties are, God is stronger than those things that are against you. Are you afraid uh, and worried about Pharaoh and the evil empire that has ruled over you oppressively in the past? The walls defending your enemies, the giants in the land that are opposing you? Are you worried about your finances? Are you worried about disease? Are you worried about our country? Whatever it is that you're anxious and worried about, God is bigger than all of that. And our anxiety in the face of those things shows that we feel like grasshoppers based on our ability, and we forget that it's God's ability that matters more, that he'll get us through, that he has always and will always deliver his people. God is bigger, stronger, more faithful, and can make it all work to the the good of those who obey him and love him, love God, and love others. Trust that he'll get you through this and every other moment. If you're here this morning and you've not made a decision to make God king of your life and to be part of his kingdom, one of his citizens of that place, living differently in a world so that the world might see through you that God is good, that God's in control and that He causes people to live a different way, a better way, bringing heaven into this world today, tomorrow, and forever until Jesus returns and makes it all come completely back to right. If you've never made that commitment and decision to give your life to Jesus, why don't you do it this morning while we stand and sing? when my way grow with dream precious lord linger near when my life